Hello everyone and welcome to episode 113 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I'll be your host today. Now today's episode will be somewhat reflective. There's been quite a few reflective episodes in the past. Um, I really enjoy doing them actually. It's quite nice to essentially think out loud Um, but it will be reflections on the Windrush 75 quote-unquote celebrations that have been going on for the past two weeks in some cases or week in the kind of intensity um, and I'm sure we'll be carrying on over the next few weeks as well Um, and I kind of wanted to do an episode that reflects on the impact of some of those celebrations and conversations that are occurring as well as bringing in a few updates from past episodes um, where things I've been speaking about whether that be um, in the case of Child Q or in the Stephen Lawrence episodes or in the Windrush Scandal episodes, which are obviously more recent. Um, You know, there have been updates um, and things have happened that I wanted to talk about in this episode today. And this episode, um, in a kind of mishmash way, will hopefully bring all these themes together and also draw to a close. It's not really a season um, of the History Heartline, but we're having a pause we're having a summer holiday um so this will be the last episode for a while um I think episodes will resume towards the end of August the start of September just when school goes back into session um and that will give me some time to have a break from the history hotline it won't give me any time to have a break from history because I definitely still do a PhD um but it will be a chance for me to kind of read some more, take in some more content, topics and just broaden my historical knowledge because the kind of the wealth and the breadth of of black British history that exists and Caribbean history, if we we want to bring that in as well, is immense. You know, these aren't just like really small histories where there's only a few topics. There's so much to potentially talk about. And someone's asked me before if I think I'll ever run out of episodes and that's literally not possible. Like, I think this podcast would have to be going for decades for me to run out of episodes because there's so many ways to frame history. So even if you take one historical event or person or organisation, there's so many angles at which you could come at that topic that it kind of leads to infinity episodes, which means that the History Heartline will be going on forever. So that's not a bad thing. All that being said, if you are sitting here listening to this episode thinking, why doesn't she do an episode about beep fill in the blank then now's your time um please feel free to send recommendations I know people have sent recommendations in the past and if you have and I haven't done it yet it's because I'm still reading I promise I haven't forgotten any of the recommendations I've had in the past there's a long list but if you do have any other episode recommendations or topics you'd like to hear more about or things that you've kind of heard in passing and you know you want a deeper exploration or if you'd like an update on any episodes or a different angle maybe for something that I've already spoken about here then please feel free to send your requests in and you can send them by email thehistoryhotline at gmail.com or on social media instagram at thehistoryhotline twitter at thehistoryhl you can catch me on linkedin um I think that's that's about it really for me and the podcast but you know if you do have any um yeah any requests please do send them my way as I do my reading for the next batch of episodes over 2023 and 2024 also if you have any one that you think is doing interesting research uh within the field of black british or caribbean history that you'd like to see or hear 
here here on this podcast then please do um send me their names send me their content um i'd love to speak to more people doing um doing this work you know doing black british and caribbean history to talk to them about their research or you know people that were present at some of the events i've spoken about that aren't so far back uh within history i would love to sit down and talk to those people so yeah if you can think of anybody send them my way, connect me with them. I would really appreciate that. I'd love to interview more people on this podcast as well as sharing the histories that I have been doing for the past nearly three years. So our first topic of today's episode is, of course, Windrush 75, 75th um, anniversary of the arrival of the Windrush, which was a ship that carried a large number of West Indian migrants to Britain after World War Two. It wasn't the first ship, it wasn't the second, it's probably something like the third or fourth. Um, and it is marked with, as a kind of symbolic start of, of those migrations. Um, in the last two episodes, which were about the Windrush scandal, I was kind of suggesting that, really, is there anything to celebrate, question mark? You know, should we be in a in a mood or in a mode of celebration when so many people that were impacted by um, the Home Office, their racism, their mismanagement, their ill handling, their general inefficiency and absolute abhorrent treatment of human beings. Um, You know, should we be celebrating in the midst of that when we know there are so many people that lives have been absolutely destroyed by it? who still haven't received compensation, who still haven't received adequate support to help them out of the situations they were put in. So that was a kind of theme of the past two episodes. And, well, I'm not going to say I've changed my mind because I haven't, but I was very fortunate to speak at the National Windrush Museum's um, conference. And I spoke about some of the research I had done on West Indian women during World War Two in the ATSC, Auxiliary Territorial Service, which I've done episodes on before. Um, so in doing that, I was in um, a lot of conversations and in a lot of rooms where the theme was of celebration. You know, this conference was for Windrush 75. And I think I wouldn't say I was I was convinced by this idea that, you know, we should be solely celebrating. And I don't actually think anyone is actually suggesting that apart from maybe the British government, but it was very clear that whilst we had to remember and understand this scandal, it was also okay to celebrate, for me, my grandparents' generation, for some their great-grandparents, their parents, um, and celebrate their lives, essentially, not necessarily their contribution or, you know, what they've done for England, but just to celebrate their lives and the legacies they've left for us, even on a personal level. So I think I used that time, that space to think about my grandparents um, and think about the people I know of that generation in my community that have really shaped the area I live in, my house, my outlook on life and so many other things. So it was nice to actually think, whilst I'm still a very cynical person, especially when it comes to... um, home office affairs it was nice to to have a little bit more of a positive um spin on Windrush 75 however this didn't last very long it didn't last very long because Britain was doing what it does best tokenism and empty platitudes 
coins and stamps. Last year, it was statues. This year, coins and stamps. See, now I feel like I'm having the same conversation, literally sat in the same seat because I record the podcast in the same place. And this time last year, I think I made a whole episode about what was the point of a Windrush statue and was it just an empty gesture? And here I am, 365-ish days later, asking the same question, you know, are these stamps and coins just another empty gesture? And I just feel like it's shocking to me that it's it's the same thing again and again. And I don't know why I'm shocked, because um, it's clear that, you know, this country doesn't really do much more than that. Um, but yeah, episode 81... Windrush Monument, empty gesture, question mark. The newly erected monument at Waterloo train station to honour the Windrush generation was put up and I don't know if we were supposed to to really celebrate it, but it was most definitely an empty political gesture. And now we have stamps. Now, again, as I said when it came to the statue, this is not to critique the artist, the sculptor in that, in that um, statue episode, um, and in this case, there were five black British artists, all of Caribbean heritage, which I think is beautiful. Kareen Cox, Bakiba, Tamika George, Alvin Kofi and Emma Prempe. Um, three of them designed two stamps and then I think the other designed just the one. And, you know, this is not a critique of them. The stamps are actually beautiful. And I was not annoyed that they were beautiful because, of course, they would be, you know, they've selected really talented artists to do that. Um and I think it's very, it's really nice the things that they've included in these stamps. They've obviously got like an image of the Windrush ship and in the forefront of that image is a woman. And I'm really happy about that because the Pathé Newsreel of 1948 when the Windrush arrives is such a male dominated visual, even orally. You don't hear from any woman. No woman speaks in that. Um, the visuals pretty much all pan to men and, and allude to them being all ex-servicemen. When there were ex-servicewomen on the ship as well, which was what my talk was about the other day. Um, you know, it shows teachers, um, which is, you know, important in my own family history. There's cricketers. There are individuals holding up placards, marching, um, essentially probably uh, representing the struggle as well as the joy of them playing steel pans and being part of carnival and being in the market and dancing. And, you know, I think it really beautifully captures um, the essence of, of that generation and some of the things that they went through and the legacy they've left for us. Um, so this is not a critique of the art or the artist or anything like that. It's just sometimes I wish the energy that went into to things like this went into also reparations, Um as a wider concept for people of the Windrush generation, but also in wider conversations, which I don't think this podcast is going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about wider conversations about reparations through, because of enslavement or colonialism, but we definitely could, um, and we have. But, yeah, I just feel like it's a bit of an empty gesture once again. Um, but artists were commissioned, um, and they were of Caribbean descent, and it's kind of a nice legacy moment and something to I guess remember the year by in a sense and I quite like the idea that it's it's stamps as well because um that generation in my family anyway like to write a letter 
and they were writing letters back home they were receiving letters from back home and you know that was a way they communicated and so you know to kind of have their story on a stamp in the way that they would have um, communicated with back home and, and kept the memories that they had of home alive and that kind of thing um, is quite is quite a nice thing but again I'm calling it an empty gesture um, sorry <laughs> And now on to the coin. There's a 50p coin, a new 50p with Windrush Generation 75. Um, and again, um, a descendant of the, that generation from the Caribbean, Valda Jackson, was commissioned to design... Uh, well, no, she designed them and then they those designs were selected for the coin, which depicts two people of the Windrush Generation dressed smartly, um, standing together. It looks like a man and his wife, um, or one could assume. And then the backdrop is of a Union Jack flag, um, and it's supposed to represent pride and belonging. Um, and yeah, it's just interesting that the Royal Mint had the time, the money to print coins, but they didn't have the coins to give to those who needed compensation. So that one for me is just not really making sense but nothing makes sense because it's just an empty gesture so why would it make sense um but again this isn't at all critique of um the design that was chosen the artists that have done that design um it is just of the fact that once again it seems like we have an empty gesture with actually no real move to um to do anything to support the people that really need supporting financially um, after this scandal. I was very shocked um, to see an article that was speaking about a senior metropolitan police officer apologising for the trauma that was caused to child Q. Now, if you remember back in 2022, I believe, if you remember back to episode 69, Child Q and the Adultification of Black Girls, um, I spoke about a case um, that had come up from 2020 um, of a 15 year old um, young girl who was strip searched at school after being wrongly suspected of carrying drugs um, and I won't go into much more than that with this um, part of the episode but three years on Child Q um, has actually spoken out for the first time in an updated report into the incident um, and Detective Chief Superintendent James Conway um, in response, and I quote said, the experience of child Q should never have happened and I am sorry for the trauma that we caused her. I'm also sorry it took an event like this to highlight that we were overusing this type of strip search on children. Now, I'm sorry that it's taken you that long to actually acknowledge that and apologise. Um, and I'm even more annoyed that it's a report that's taken this kind of um, response you know, not the actual case itself. And yes, there were apologies made at the time, but for somebody with authority within um, the Met to come out and actually acknowledge the failings, um, which I'm sorry, that sounds institutional to me, institutional failings, but we don't really like big words like institutional racism or institutional failings or systemic issues, um, even though it's very clear that's what that is here. Um, and hopefully... There will be further conversations about A, the removal of this kind of procedure in schools, B, the removal of police from schools and C, 
the over policing of black children uh, more broadly. I don't think I think we might get A. So unlikely we'll see B and C seems impossible to me at this stage. Um, but that was an update within that case um, from an episode that came out in March 22. And the next thing I wanted to speak about was, um, this feels so strange to say this. I don't know if, if update's the right word, but an update in the Stephen Lawrence case. Who would have thought um, 30 years after Stephen Lawrence was murdered, um, that a sixth suspect named Matthew White would be named by the Mets following the publication of an investigation. White died two years ago, aged 50, and so cannot be held to account, cannot be brought to justice, um, cannot answer for what is being accused, what he's being accused of or you know, whether he was there or not, it will be based on whatever evidence is available. Um, And, you know, it's just, oh, it just says so much, doesn't it, that this family have had to fight so long and so hard to just, like, get the scraps of a semblance of justice. It's it's ridiculous. Um, And... Again, it just really shows the failings of the Met. And it's just such an infuriating situation that they have covered up that, which I believe they have. Um, This is me speaking on opinion here. Not fact, but, you know, they clearly knew who he was. um, And it's only now that this is all being released after his death, which is very convenient. Dwayne Brooks, who was um, with Stephen Lawrence when he was killed always said there was a sixth person, which I didn't actually talk about in the episode that I did on the Stephen Lawrence um, 30 years on. Um, But he's always said that there were six people when it was only five people whose names were mentioned in investigations and inquiries. Um, Baroness Doreen Lawrence has, of course, called for serious sanctions against those Met officers who have failed to investigate the murder adequately or in any way, really, because... This infuriating revelation um, is clearly just another step in the failings of this um, force. And I just don't think that this is the end. I don't think that this will be the last we hear of this story or investigation. Imagine if this was investigated properly in the beginning. Like, just imagine, imagine the difference. You know, unfortunately, this family would have still lost their son. Friends would have lost a friend. Um, But... The difference in this case um, and the difference in the handling of it, how, like, you know, much less harrowing that would have been um, for her family. And, you know, I assume that officers that might have been part of this investigation in its initial stages 30 years ago may not even be alive now, you know, if they were, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s at that point, senior um, officials within the Met might not be here now. So there is also that. And, you know, Matthew White first came to police attention when Stephen Lawrence was killed in 1993. Um, And he was a witness at that point. And he told officers he'd visited the home address of two of the suspects on the night of Stephen's murder, linking him to two suspects. Um, And then he was again seen by police when he refused to attend the Stephen Lawrence inquiry Um, During the post-inquiry investigation in 1999, he was re-interviewed, he was arrested and interviewed in March 2000, and in 
December 2013. Um, a file was submitted to prosecutors in May 2005 and October 2014. Um, and on both occasions, uh, the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, um, basically said that there was no kind of realistic way that he would be convicted um, for any offence. So you can see, you know, he's not just some random person that's popped up in the story 30, 30 years later. He was being questioned at every stage of investigations by the Met, let, yeah, let alone he's still been allowed to get away with this and die without facing any kind of justice. Um, so, yes, it's clear that, you know, the Met <laughs> still a very long way away from any kind of positive change, shall we say, especially when it comes um, to institutional racism. There were a few other things I wanted to briefly touch on but not say too much about because um, I'll be honest, I'm just a bit underread when it comes to the topics but Stop and Search um, being ramped up, which we know disproportionately impacts um, black boys, black men um, and the idea that this is going to help prevent crime when we know that it doesn't and actually remedying the reasons that people take part in criminal activity would probably be more of an effective approach it was an approach taken in scotland many years ago um looking at things like poverty and class as opposed to always singling out race um when it comes to crimes that are knife crime related drugs um crime related they are it's like the fingers being pointed straight at black people <laughs> like you know you are the proponents of it so you must be stopped and searched way more times um so, yeah, there's that coming from um, the high ups in government that that needs to be ramped up. There is also the fact that Swella Braverman has disbanded the Windrush Home Office um, Task Force, which was looking into compensation. And we also have claims of further deportations of people of the Windrush generation who have mental health um, issues and diagnoses. Um, and there have been uh, incidences where they have been deported. Now, kind of brings us full circle back to the topic we started on and the tokenistic endeavours of, of stamps and coins um, when we have stories coming out in the same week of uh, people of that generation being deported. And so, you know, it kind of leaves me to think about where we are at this point, at the start of 2023, um, and whilst I'd say the provision of black British history is a lot better than when I started in 2020, I don't know how many people knew or could, you know, talk through stories of the Windrush generation and really understand some of the nuances of that story. Um, maybe there are some people that still can't and that's okay. The learning continues, but I think the amount that's available now when it comes to history as just a member of the public wanting to to pick up a book or listen to a podcast hint hint um or watch a youtube video or something of that nature you know i think it is a lot easier to do that now um so whilst there are positive changes um and there have been positive effects of having something like windrush day and thinking about the post-war migrations um of caribbean people there are obvious, very, very obvious issues with that and it does have a problematic tone to it when the kind of most substantial things that are being done are new coins and stamps. But I will leave this episode here and draw this kind of season 
it's not a season because I don't really start the numbers again. Like, we don't do that. Oh, season three, episode one. It's going to be episode 114 again when I'm back towards the end of August. So I just wanted to say thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support over the last um, oh, year or so when I took the last break. It was June 2022. Um, and for sharing these episodes, for telling your friends, your family members to tune in. Um, for supporting my work more broadly outside the podcast as well. I am really, really grateful um, and I couldn't do it without you and I wouldn't do it without you. So thank you all so much. Um, and I hope you continue listening. Um, and now if you've missed episodes, you've got a chance to catch up. You've got a few weeks. So do enjoy. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the History Hotline. To continue the conversation, follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter. The History Hotline is hosted by Deanna Lynn Cook. Research is done by Zakia Riaz. <laughs>